Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. I don't know what this means, this matter of hope. Moment by moment, it is difficult to know where I have it, or not, or how I might tell. Meghub and Jumdar, a burning. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and today I'm recapping the books I read in June. Guys, I do not know what is happening to me. (laughs) I read, if you count the Babysitter's Club books, I read 15, I think, books in June, 14 in May. This is unheard of. This is not usual for me. This is not typical. Uh, I am exorbitantly behind in posting reviews on Instagram for this very reason. I also went through a reading, Olivia and I kept referring to it as a reading slump in June, but really what it was, was I just wasn't even in the mood to read, but I guess I read anyway, (laughs) because somehow when I sat down to make notes for this episode, I had a list of 14 or 15 books. So I truly, I can tell you exactly where the kind of slump came and we'll talk about that, but Wow, I read a lot more than I thought I did. (laughs) And so we're just going to jump right in, uh, lest I waste any time. Uh, So the first book I finished in June was The Next Great Jane. This is a children's chapter book recommended to me by Olivia. It's by author K.L. Going. I loved this book. Um, It takes place in Maine. So I mentioned this book in our last podcast episode because it immediately made me want to schedule a vacation I'm thinking 2021, maybe 2022 uh, for Maine. Um, It is set in Maine. It is about a young girl named Jane who lives there with her dad. Um, She has a complicated relationship with her mom. Her parents divorced when she was little and her mom moved across the country, but she stayed with her dad in Maine um, because she loves it there. And so it's really about loving your home and you learn so much. Her dad is um, an environmental scientist, kind of a marine biologist. And so I felt like I also learned a lot about marine biology and about the coast of Maine. The reason the book kind of gets its title is young Jane is an aspiring writer. She admires Jane Austen. And so hence this idea that she might be the next great Jane. There's a wonderful cast of characters. What I really liked about this book was even though Jane and her dad have a really special bond and the role, the father figure in this book is really great. I think it could have been easy uh, I think it is easy in children's literature to sometimes vil- um, sometimes villainize of the adults. And instead, the mom could have been maybe the stereotypical character, but instead I felt like she had a lot of nuance. There, Jane meets uh, a famous author who kind of comes to her town. The whole book starts kind of with this hurricane scene, so I loved that. It's a great summer book um, if you're like me and you like reading kind of seasonally. Uh, you'll fly through this one And I think kids will like it too. Olivia read it and loved it, passed it along to me. And I am so glad she did. I really, really liked this book a lot. And the stakes were just high enough. Like I felt very invested, um, but also it wasn't stressful reading because I think part of the reason for my June, just again, not even reading slump, but just a lack of desire to pick up a book came from, there was a lot I was trying to learn and listen and focus on throughout the month of June. There was a lot happening in our world, in our globe, in our nation, in my state. Uh, And so it felt like there wasn't a lot lot of bandwidth uh, for reading, but I thought The Next Great Jane was really great. 
Okay, next I read I'm Still Here. This is by Austin Channing Brown. You've probably seen this one on the internet in the past month. It was chosen as a Reese Witherspoon pick, I believe, for the month of June. Now I'm guessing, now I'm hesitating, but I think that was right, for the month of June. I read it early in the month. I actually have had this book on my shelf for a while. I had started it and just had never finished it. Truly, no reason. There is no reason for that. I just, I opened up my nightstand and saw it and a couple other books that I had started and underlined and then never finished. So I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. The week of George Floyd's murder, I immediately went to my shelves and started to pick up books like I'm Still Here that I had put down. Um, I finished I'm Still Here and Just Mercy in June. I have some more on my list for July and August, but I'm Still Here is a memoir. What I really appreciated about it was the writing is outstanding. So it's entirely readable. It is Austin, Austin Channing's Brown personal story of kind of coming to copes with her blackness in a world that is geared toward whiteness. Austin Channing Brown also approaches things from a Christian perspective. So I appreciated her nuance and her dealing with the primarily, I think, American evangelical church. It opened my eyes. I underlined a lot. I think when you read a book like this, the key is to kind of read with an open mind and with a willing heart to think about the ways maybe you have contributed to the problem. And so reading a book like this takes a toll, but it's a toll that I think needs to be taken. What I also appreciated was that Austin manages to somehow do this work in a really grace-filled way. I think it would be really easy and perhaps entirely justified to be angry or bitter and and rightfully so. And I think there are spots in the book where Austin's anger comes to light, but she's always really kind about it and really graceful about it. And her writings of her personal experiences made a deep impact on me. I'm looking actually at my copy right now. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I kind of mark my books. Um, I don't use book darts or anything. I just rip, (laughs) I rip little marks in them. Um, And I know for some people that's horrific sounding, but um, for me, it really works and is a way to make notes. Um, I had bought this book from Parnassus a couple years ago. I think maybe even um, last year, the during my brother's wedding weekend, but I found my copy and had marked up the first part and then finished, finished it this, this month by marking it up. And there are just some really, my whole copy is just tattered a little bit because there was so much that struck a chord with me and that convicted me. And there are so many great quotes about whiteness and white supremacy that helped me, I think, understand those terms a little bit better. Um, she also is just talking, it's a deeply personal memoir about her faith and her journey and becoming herself and coming into her own. So there's a lot to like about this book. It is so short, in my opinion. I flew through it. Again, don't know why it wound up on my shelf for so long because it was entirely readable. It is tough. Like there are tough things, but it is very quick. Um, I can totally see why Reese Witherspoon kind of picked this. Um, And I think if you are new at kind of addressing these questions and thinking through things differently and maybe addressing your own racism, I think this is a great starting point for that. Um, I don't think it should be the only book you ever read about this issue, but I think if you are trying really hard to listen, to learn, to lament, and to do better, I think Austin Channing's Brown, Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness is outstanding and I highly recommend. I'm so glad I've, I'm so glad I finally finished it. 
Then I definitely had some lighter, <laughs> lighter fare. I read again on Olivia's kind of recommendation two graphic novels. This also, I think, um, Christine, one of our podcast listeners and kind of online store regulars, she had bought these for herself. I think Kate, former bookshelf bookseller, had bought these for herself or had posted about them. So Olivia and I had seen these. Um, and then I finally picked them up and Olivia did too. They're um, the Check Please series uh, by Ngozi Okazu. Um, these are graphic novels about a hockey team. I adored these books. I learned a lot about hockey. The first book, I'm trying to remember the name of the first book because I thought it was so cute. It, well, it, Check, Please is the first one. And then the second is book two, Sticks and Scones. So, you know, there's a baking element and a pun element that it would be hard to not love. I fell in love with Eric Biddle. He's kind of the main character. He's a YouTube star uh, who goes off to Samwell, which I kind of envision as this um, kind of Northeastern coastal school where hockey reigns. He's kind of a former, um, oh gosh, this gave me flashbacks to that 80s movie. What was it called? Where one of them was a um, an ice skater or an ice dancer and one of them was a hockey player. Whatever that movie is, it's great. <laughs> I wish I could remember the name. But it had those vibes because Eric kind of used to be a figure skater and now he has joined um, the hockey team for Samwell. Uh, this college kind of, I'm again, just kind of picture this elite college up in New England. Um, and he winds up kind of developing this crush, although it's, I think it's so sweet how the story develops. Um, it's a really slow burn. Closed door romance for those of you looking for that. Uh, I just thought it was really sweet. He joins the hockey team and kind of develops this crush, kind of slow burning crush on his captain. Uh, Jack. And Jack kind of goes on in book two. I mean, no real spoilers, but he goes on to join an NHL team. And so Jack and Eric's love story takes up a lot of book two. Uh, book one is just a lovely introduction to the team itself. Um, I loved learning hockey lingo. Hockey is something I know nothing about. These are definitely going to go up there on my list of favorite books about sports. I, my brother likes hockey. And so I immediately was like, I just finished these great graphic novels about hockey. I feel like I learned a lot uh, about the different moves. And then I loved, I really like books about healthy male friendships. Um, I don't know that we get a lot of those. Jordan makes fun because I also love seeing that in shows. Parks and Rec is a great example. Um, but I really fell in love not only with Eric and Jack, but with the hockey team in general. I cannot give you the name of my favorite character. It is not safe for this podcast, um, but it is very fun. I loved the characters. These, it's You'll fly through them. This is great kind of I don't know, same day reading. So thank you to Christine and Kate and Olivia because I I don't know if I would have picked these up on my own. Uh, graphic memoirs, graphic novels, I mean. Graphic novels are not something I often pick up. Graphic memoirs are. Um, but I'm so glad I read this. And again, there's a baking element. Uh, <laughs> Eric Biddle is a YouTuber known for his baking. And so there's just so much to love about Eric and these books. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed them. So this is the Check, Please series. Um, book one is actually just called, I think, Hashtag Hockey. And book two is called Sticks and Scones. Just absolutely delight delightful by Ngozi Ukazu. Next, so I went from, gosh, I did realize I've, I did a good job, I think, this month of kind of reading all over the place. Children's lit, memoir, uh, kind of graphic novels, uh, rom-com. And then next I read House Lessons, which is a five-star book for me. This is another book 
that I thankfully picked up on recommendation of a customer. I mentioned this book, I think two podcast episodes ago when I was recommending books to somebody on literary therapy um, for books about houses. Uh, This book is House Lessons by Erica Bauermeister. If you live in an old house, and I mean like a like an old home, <laughs> like like a whole a home that was built a long time ago, or if you have a fascination with that, um, if you like, I don't know, HGTV, but even if you don't, this book is so beautiful. I actually recommend it for fans of Danny Shapiro or last month, one of my favorite books I read was Nobody Will Tell You This But Me. Uh, House Lessons definitely falls in this category of kind of a beautifully written memoir that also then almost gives us then a little more detail um, and history on not only this person's, Erica Bauermeister's kind of personal narrative, but she also weaves in actual information about old homes, the renovation process, uh, architecture and art. I fell in love with this. It's like Danny Shapiro, uh, meets Loving Frank or something like that. Uh, it's called House Lessons. It's a book about Erica's renovation of a home on the Washington coast. So I also really like this book. If you are stuck at home this summer, but you want to feel like you're somewhere else, The Next Great Jane certainly t- will take you to Maine. House Lessons will take you to the coast of Washington. Um, I wound up Googling. I mean, this book kind of just took me on the most delightful journey. I wound up Googling things like the octopi that are found on the West Coast or on the coast of Washington. I wound up Googling stuff about house terminology and kind of what different architectural types and styles are. But Erica does such a beautiful job of writing just in this stunningly gorgeous prose, but also, again, weaving in things where you feel like you're learning something, which for a nerd like me is really enjoyable and important. And so I loved this book and did not really know fully what I was getting into. So shout out to Laurie for recommending this because I did love it. Partly because Jordan and I moved fairly recently and the house we moved into had been renovated, but not lived in. And so it's been kind of an adventure (laughs) um, in adjusting to the quirks of this house and our other house uh, that we moved from was built in 1893. So we are not renovators by any means, but we are lovers of old homes. And so house lessons just really struck a chord um, in me, but I think it will for you too, as a reader. I just thought it was great. Uh, So that's house lessons by Erica Bauermeister. Next, I read Florence Adler Swims Forever by Rachel Beanland. This is outside genre for me too because it is very much historical fiction, kind of set during the 40s. But what I really liked was that, and and some people might not like this at all, but the book was set um, on the Jersey Shore. The Adler family, who I absolutely adored. Um, I fell in love with a lot of characters this this month. But the Adler family sticks out because they are united by their grief. Um, It's hard to know how much information I really want to give. I kind of liked going in blind about this. So uh, if you also want to go in blind on this book, just fast forward, I don't know, 15 or 30 seconds. But for those of you who are okay knowing a little bit, um, Rachel Adler, the in the title of the book, Rachel Adler winds up drowning like in the first few pages of this book. And her very religious kind of Jewish family decides to keep her death a secret from her sister, who is um, kind of on bed rest and trying to have a the safe and healthy delivery of her new baby. And so to prevent any maybe trauma or to cause a miscarriage, 
they keep Rachel's death a secret. So family secrets abound in this book, but also this is really just a book about the different ways the different members of this family cope with Rachel's loss. I thought it was beautifully done. What I liked, but I don't know if other historical fiction fans will, is I liked that you are given slight historical context. So you know one of the characters has um, immigrated from Germany or from Austria, and you know things are happening in Europe, and it is referenced and I think dealt with, but dealt with very quietly. That is not the point of this book. So for me, who sometimes struggles with uh, historical fiction, I liked that the undertones of what's happening in history or what's happening in history is more of an undertone than an overtone. But I have a feeling some straight historical fiction fans won't like that Rachel didn't maybe deal with World War II and what's happening in an upfront way. Um, I loved being taken to the Jersey Shore. Again, I, I am finding that setting is very important for my reading right now, uh, partly because we're not going much of anywhere. So I loved the setting, but I really fell in love with the family. I, I think this one felt a little bit like um, this is where I leave you, but also maybe, um, we were the lucky ones, um, Boston girl by Anita Diamant. So if those books are something you enjoyed, then I think you'll really like Florence Adler. I felt like I was reading a book I would have read and loved years ago. It was kind of quiet. Nothing too major happens aside from the plot points I already gave, but there's a kind of a sweet love story. There is a very spunky, uh, young niece who is a delight. I did not find her to be obnoxious. Instead, I found her to be really um, fun and enjoyable. If anybody, did anybody watch the show? I think it was called Saving Grace. It starred Mae Whitman and Elias Shawcott. I think it came on ABC Family. This very much reminded me of that show. If that show resonated with anyone, uh, it did for me. Couldn't tell you what year it came out, but it only ran for like one season. Um, do you believe in magic was the theme song anyway this to me felt like I don't know a really enjoyable story about a family and so I really liked it it started it didn't even start slow it just took me a minute to get used to the family and the rhythms of their of their personalities but once I was in I was all in so that's Florence Adler swims forever by Rachel Beanland uh very much a departure I then tackled home before dark the new Riley Sager I loved this book. Olivia and I were talking and it's so hard for me. He's very reliable to me. I really like his thrillers. I kind of know what I'm getting, kind of like I know what I'm getting when I read a Tana French book. And Riley Sager and Tana French are doing very different things, but I love them the same. <laughs> um, Riley Sager is definitely more horror and more pulp fiction, whereas I think, in my opinion, Tana French is more suspenseful literary fiction. But I have come to really rely on Riley Sager. Every summer, I know his is a book I'm going to enjoy. Home Before Dark was great because I had just read House Lessons. It's funny how this kind of works out. I had just read House Lessons. Home Before Dark is about, if you couldn't guess, uh, a home where terrible things have happened or supposedly happened. Maybe there are ghosts. Maybe there aren't. And um, the young woman at the center of this plot, her father has died and she um, winds up um, being given this home in his will. Uh, the, I think, very interesting, fun premise of this book is that the, the protagonist lived in the home when she was younger and she and her family only made it, I think, like 14 days before they wound up moving out because they had been terrorized by ghosts. 
And so the book kind of flashes back and forward, backwards and forwards uh, between the family's time in the home, uh, which her father wound up writing this best-selling book about. Think, um, I kept thinking about like Poltergeist or Amityville Horror or something like that, horror. Um, this is a book I think Jordan would like. I would love to see it become a movie as I find most of Riley Sager's books I feel like are very um, cinematic and feel like they're a movie yeah, they feel like they're a movie and I miss going to the movie theater so much. And so this kind of was the next best thing, weirdly, just a great summer uh, horror book. I liked it, I think, more than Lock Every Door. I just thought it was really fun. If you like pulpy horror suspense literature and if you like scary movies, because I think a lot of Riley Sager's books pay homage to, intentionally or unintentionally, they pay homage to kind of the great horror films. And that's why this one remind me, reminded me of Poltergeist or Amityville Horror. I think Poltergeist mostly. Um, anyway, really liked this one, Home Before Dark by Riley Sager. It comes out this week um, or came out this week. Then I read kind of a, around the same time. I don't always pick up books at the same time, but I was reading The Lightness. This is a new book by Emily Temple. It's one I mentioned during the summer literary lunch. It looked really good. Looked like it would be good for fans of Emma Klein and um, the book she wrote a couple years ago called The Girls. It is about a young woman who is on kind of on the hunt looking for her father who kind of went missing, but air quotes around missing. He hasn't returned home in a year. It is suspected that he is dead. Um, but she returns to kind of where he last lived, which is this camp for, I think she calls it like Buddhist, the Buddhist summer camp for bad girls or something like that. But it's a summer camp for uh, young women who have gotten into trouble, almost kind of a rehabilitative kind of camp. And she goes there searching for her father, but she winds up staying at the camp. And one of the rumors at this camp, kind of located in Colorado, kind of where the altitude is weird, um, is that you can learn to levitate. So weird premise, utterly bizarre kind of premise. The writing in this book is so good. I think Jim, uh, Jenny Offal gave it a blurb uh, who wrote Weather. That is exactly, the prose reminds me of Jamie Quattro and Jenny Offal. That being said, this book is so dark. <laughs> I think, and you know what? I recall feeling that way even about girls. I kind of felt like Emma Klein's girls was going to be this fun, <laughs> air quotes fun, uh, look at the Manson family and cults. Um, no, these books probably deal with them in a much more realistic way. Um, and so as a result, the lightness is really, really dark. Um, I kept reading it. I was considering it actually for a shelf subscription, I guess, kind of some behind the scenes for you. I had a few titles, um, some of which you have already heard mentioned for my July shelf subscription. And I was trying to read The Lightness thinking it would be a good, a good pick. And the writing is, again, just really literary, really, really good, rich descriptions and unique, very original prose. But man, some of the plot points, I would I would describe them out loud to Olivia just to kind of gauge someone else's reaction. And this was just ultimately not something I was comfortable sending to, you know, 70 people who I don't know. However, I think I could definitely name you people this would be good for. Hunter, if you're listening and haven't read this yet, this one is for you. Uh, so I feel like I could tell you if this book is for you, but it was it'll for sure not be for everyone. Some of what happens here is just absolutely bonkers. 
Um, I think Emily Temple does a really great job, not only in writing, but also in taking you, the reader, along for a really wild ride. I definitely wanted to keep reading to find out what happened, even as I became more and more disturbed (laughs) by what was happening. I couldn't quite give it up because I was desperate to know what happened to these people. Um, The young protagonist not only is on the search and hunt for her dad, but she also kind of becomes a member of this kind of little clique of girls at this camp kind of the cool, aloof girls, um, and, and some of her insights into that culture, cool girl culture is really interesting. I wound up really liking this book, but again, it is bonkers, absolutely wild, won't be for everyone, but I think it will solidly be for some people. So it is called The Lightness. It is by Emily Temple. My other, uh, I had a few five-star books of the month. One that certainly I think will be in my top 10 of the year is A Burning, um, by Magham Majumdar. Oh my gosh. So this was a, I think a Jenna Bush Hager pick, which man, whoever her people are, they are doing a great job. I feel like she reliably picks really great books. Um, but this is a debut novel very much. And I think he wound up even giving, I have, I have an arc. I don't have the final copy. Um, but I think Tommy Orange wound up blurring, blurbing this book. And I can totally see why, because as I was reading, it was very reminiscent to me of There There, which was one of my favorite books when it released a few years, a few years ago, a couple years ago. Um, anyway, this book, uh, has three different narrators, two of whom I loved one of whom I didn't like, but you're not supposed to, I don't think so. That was fine. Um, but Javon is kind of the main character. She, um, a few days after a terrorist attack, um, winds up kind of going on Facebook and making some comments that then cause her to come under fire and under examination from the police. Um, so she becomes arrested and, you know, kind of from the beginning, this is all set in Bengal. Um, you know, from the beginning that she has not committed a crime. Um, but the, the way the justice system works is really interesting to read about and actually very timely. And so you have her side of the story. Then you have, I said PT, sir. I'm not actually sure. PT, sir is like a teacher. He's a PE teacher, a physical education teacher, um, who actually at one point coached Javon. Um, but he's the other narrator. And then the third narrator is someone I think everybody will fall in love with. Um, lovely, who is a kind of an outcast. She is a member of the Hidra community in India. I, um, had heard about Hidra from, I believe actually weirdly a, an email from the skim a while ago. Um, but I learned so much about that culture. This is another one of those books that I, read and then kind of Googled some things as I went along. So you've got these three really compelling narrators and this very intense feeling of, you know, as the reader that Javon has not committed this crime, but you don't know what's going to happen to her. I read this book, like it's a book I carried around in my purse. Every chance I got, I wanted to read this book um, to find out what happened to her. And this book is like a gut punch in the best possible way. Again, this will be, I think, in my top 10 of the year for sure. Um, and I've read some good books this year. But I, if you have not read A Burning or if you've hesitated maybe because it sounds intense, it is intense, but it's really worth it and so good and so profound. And the writing's excellent. Um, again, very much along the same lines as There There by Tommy Orange. Really liked this one. This is A Burning by Meg Kamajumdar. Highly, highly recommend. 
Okay, gosh, I feel like I need to fly through these. Next, I read Party of Two by Jasmine Guillory. I have read a few books by Jasmine Guillory. I think I've read Wedding Party. Um, oh gosh. And maybe The Proposal. No, Wedding Date. Wedding Date, Wedding Party, and now Party of Two. Um, she is very reliable to me. I think if you like Jasmine Guillory, I think you will love all of her books. Like if you like one, you'll like them all. Um, that being said, actually Party of Two is my favorite one I've read by her. I said on the new release Tuesday podcast episode when this came out that this is a great rom-com if you like criminal justice reform, like right there alongside your romantic comedies. And turns out I very much do. Uh, So this is very fun. Basically, Olivia falls in love. She's an attorney in LA. She's moved to Los Angeles to start her own firm. She falls in love for this junior senator, Max, who was working on a criminal justice bill. Um, I love this book. I have said many times, I'm on the record, but let me just be clear. Jasmine Guillory books are very sexy. So I actually uh, tend to, that's why I've really only read three of them, even though I really think she does such a great job. I wind up having to skim or skip a chapter or two just because it's a little too much for me. So if check please is closed door, thank you Lee Kramer for that language, then uh, party of two is very much open door. So just go to, into it knowing that you um, read some things. However, if you're like me and prefer closed door rom-coms, this will work if you just skip a chapter. It's fine. <laughs> I, I um, It's like when I was younger, uh, and grew up um, kind of adjacent to evangelical Christian culture. And I just, I think they had like a, almost like a VCR attachment where it would bleep out words for you. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it existed. Uh, and so I think I kind of self-censor sometimes. And so Party of Two got a little too steamy for me at one point. So I just skipped a few pages. But the premise of this is so fun. I love anything kind of related to politics, particularly when it comes to fiction. This reminded me of um, The Hopefuls. Or Campaign Widows, I think was the other book I read that I really liked. So Party of Two, it very much scratches that rom-com meets uh, political, uh, I don't know, rom-com meets political intrigue. Uh, I really liked this one. Um, It's my favorite one I've read by Jasmine Guillory. So that's Party of Two. It's out in paperback now. Then I read uh, the new Kevin Kwan book, Sex and Vanity. I have weirdly read two out of the three Crazy Rich Asians trilogy. I don't know what made me stop. I think I just read the first two and then life happened. Um, So I still haven't read the third one. But when I found out he had a new one coming out, I considered it briefly for for shelf subscriptions. So I decided to read it. Loved it. Thought it was very fun. More of the same if you like Crazy Rich Asians. So if that's not for you, then don't bother. Um, But if that is for you, then this is, this even has, um, I think this has a little of Easter eggs, little, a couple of Easter eggs if you liked Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, This is the story of a wedding. And so I love Gosh, I just love books set uh, set around weddings. And I kept thinking about how much I just enjoyed, again, the setting of this book. This is set, the first half of the book takes place in Capri, on the Isle of Capri in Italy. And then the second half takes place in New York. Uh, I loved both halves equally, which is saying something. But the first half in Capri is definitely the most fun. So just go into this knowing that then kind of the book takes a turn, although still you're dealing with such rich, affluent um, privileged people that you're really just kind of in on the secret a little bit of their lifestyles. Jordan and I were very into the show Selling Sunset recently. <laughs> uh, and so this was fun to just kind of read about these opulent uh, homes and very much more of the same, again, kind of revolving around a wedding on the Isle of Capri. 
loved this book, thought it was very fun, Sex and Vanity by Kevin Kwan. Didn't even mind, like, you know, it's kind of long. Uh, his books, I think, tend to be kind of long, but I didn't mind. And I love the footnotes. I love his footnotes. I think they're very clever and enjoyable. And I find his books to be very smart and fun. I read that kind of alongside Just Mercy, which is another book that I picked up off my shelves this month. Um, again, kind of in a fit of frustration with myself um, at starting these books and then not finishing them. Just Mercy has been on my list for ages, uh, for years. And I bought it. I bought my own copy last year while I was visiting the um, National Memorial for Peace and Justice, uh, the Equal Justice Initiative Museum and Memorial site. Um, Jordan and I visited that with our friends last July 4th. We thought it was a really powerful and <clears throat> solemn occasion to visit that, that site. I cannot recommend it enough. If you have never been, it's in Montgomery, Alabama, where I went to college. I learned a lot about the city where I spent some really formative years and um, learned things I did not know. And um, I find that museum and the memorial site to be so effective and so beautiful and profound and meaningful. So if you get a chance uh, when maybe we're all traveling a little bit more than we are right now, I highly recommend that spot. Um, anyway, that's why I picked up. I finally picked up my own copy of Just Mercy, promptly brought it home, read a few chapters, then my dad borrowed it. And then I got it back and didn't, uh, you know, didn't have time, like didn't, let me rephrase, didn't make the time to kind of go back to it. So I picked this one up, spent a great part of June, I think, um, reading it. It's outstanding. It's as good. I mean, I can't really add anything to, to what you've probably already heard. Um, I have loved Brian Stevenson's work for a long time. I will say that. Um, thanks to, um, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but my previous job, I was a writer and editor for a legal publication. And so I, had the opportunity to witness some things up close that really changed my heart and mind on some things, particularly in, as it relates to criminal justice and criminal justice reform. I attended a claims bill hearing um, for a man who had been sent to prison for 27 years for something he did not do. He was exonerated thanks to the Innocence Project and the work that they do. So that happened. I, I witnessed that, I think, back in 2000, mm, 2010, uh, 2010, I think. And so I have had my eyes really opened to a lot of things. Um, just Mercy just continues to be part of that. So I was familiar with Brian's work. I had watched um, the True Justice documentary on HBO. I've watched 13th on Netflix, which I highly recommend. Um, but this book is as wonderful as everybody says it is and a really valuable resource. Um, I also told Jordan and maybe this is from my own Christian worldview, but I I really do find a lot of what Brian Stevenson is arguing for and arguing on the behalf of. It's very rooted in, um, in the kind of God I believe I serve. And so it was really interesting to kind of view it through that lens. Not uh, You do not have to be a Christian to read this book. Um, but for me, that was something that stuck out because that is the worldview through which I am I'm often seeing things. So it almost then made me, <laughs> made me mad <laughs> that I felt like this book, I feel like um, Christians in particular should be reading about Brian Stevenson's work and and perhaps coming alongside him in ways more than they already are. So I think if you like, this is weird, but if you like John Grisham, I think this book is really good. If you have heard about the Innocence Project or you've heard about people becoming exonerated, like the Central Park Five or things like that, 
Um, if you liked Making of a Murderer on Netflix a few years ago, this book is so great and so well-written and compelling. What I really liked was there's a man who Brian Stevenson is kind of trying to get off of death row. And that storyline is told throughout the whole book. But every other chapter, he also kind of writes more nonfiction instead of memoir about an aspect of the criminal justice system. So one chapter was about women's prisons. And I, gosh, I just was so blind to so many things. And then one chapter was about juvenile justice. And again, maybe I was aware of a few things, but not nearly enough. My copy is again, like I'm still here, absolutely tattered. I, Jordan basically read this thanks to osmosis <laughs> by sitting next to me and listening to me talk about it. I can't recommend it enough. I want to stick it in every person's hands, particularly in Thomasville. I think uh, people in my local community would really enjoy, seems like the wrong word, but I I think we have a lot to learn and Brian Stevenson is a great teacher. I think that's the best way I can put it. Um, this is Just Mercy. I'm sure you've heard about it. Maybe you've even seen the film adaptation starring Michael B. Jordan. Um, I'm so glad I finally made the time to read this book. I have a lot of things I want to research now. Um, I highlighted a lot of parts. The Enneagram 5 in me has really done, really done a lot in the last uh, month in terms of trying so desperately to learn it all, it feels like which is impossible. And so I really appreciate Brian Stevenson's willingness to kind of tell these stories, but also um, share these facts and then um, kind of send me on a rabbit trail to go do my own research on some other things. So um, I have a lot more learning to do, but I think Just Mercy is a good place to start. Next, I picked up The House on Fripp Island. Um, this is a new book that I think came out in June. Gosh, I picked it up at a bookstore. Jordan and I spent two days on St. Simon's Island right during uh, the Sahara Desert dust situation. So that was fun. Uh, but we spent two days there. And one day while masked, I, of course, attempted to visit a bookstore and GJ Bookshop was open. And I picked up The House on Fripp Island because it takes place off the coast of South Carolina. I try to buy books that are at least kind of relevant to where we are or where we're visiting. The author of this book, I think, is Rebecca Kaufman, I want to say. She wrote The Gunners, which my book club read a year or two ago, and I did not know she had a new book out. Somehow this one completely missed me. Um, so it is out in paperback. I think it might be a paperback original, actually. Very much, this is this belongs in the vacation, vacation gone wrong, family vacation gone wrong genre, very reminiscent of Do Not Become Alarmed, or um, gosh, I read another book very much in this vein last summer where you've got these two families vacationing together. But what I really liked and what compelled me and what made it propulsively readable was that the book opens with the ghost of a member of one of these families. And so you know one of these family members is going to die, which sounds dark, and it is dark. <laughs> uh, but you know while you're reading about this vacation that something is going to happen, but you don't know who. And I I really like that. I know that that can tend to feel a little tropey, but it compels, um, I think, me to kind of read things in one sitting, <laughs> which is what I did with this book. Uh, so this is The House on Fripp Island. Um, again, I'm looking back and I think the commonality in a lot of these books is a really um, beautiful, interesting, multi-dimensional setting. Uh, so I learned a lot about Fripp Island and the coast of South Carolina, kind of the marshy coastland, which very much felt similar to where we were and where we were visiting. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. 
Okay, then the last two books I read were, of course, Save the Best for Last, Claudia and the Phantom Phone Call and The Truth About Stacy. For those of you who have, who have patiently um, been on this Babysitter's Club journey with uh, the bookshelf staff and with me as I continue to talk about them, um, guys, I just can't stress enough how absolutely pleasant these books are. <laughs> and we're reading six this summer as part of our Babysitter's Back All Right book club. Uh, and we are doing it with just the most wonderful group of people. But I think I might keep reading them uh, after we finish this first six because I am finding them to just be the right palate cleanser. And at the same time, stuff is happening. Like the truth about Stacey was stressful, um, not just because the truth about Stacey is that she has diabetes, but also because there is kind of a business rivalry happening between the Babysitter's Club and the Babysitter's Agency. I loved these books when I was a kid and I am finding I am finding it to be such a joy to revisit them in this way. And so I highly recommend these Babysitter's Club books. If you have not already jumped on this train, there is room for you here and um, we will welcome you with open arms. Wow. I feel like every episode gets longer uh, because these reading recaps are just, I'm reading a lot and I, I think it's partly quarantine. I think it's I don't, I don't really know what to blame because, um, really in between, I think while I was reading the lightness, I kind of experienced a bit of a reading slump and a period of time where I just didn't feel like reading things. I was really invested in learning through podcasts and through TV and through movies. And I've been doing a lot of that. I hope this month and it, and it's my intention for that not to stop, but, um, my reading life has been a little bit of a struggle the last month. Um, so it's surprising to me that I wound up reading this many books. I'd be curious what your own reading lives look like as we continue with quarantine, as, as we continue kind of adjusting our lives to this new normal, um, wondering how it's affecting your own reading lives and your reading rhythms. I hope you are finding things that both provide uh, maybe an important escape, but also give you information and are helping you learn something new and helping you change your mind. I think there's a lot a lot that we still have to learn and change. And so hopefully reading is helping you do that. Okay, thanks guys. Hope you have a great weekend. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at BookshelfTville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website. That's www.bookshelfthomasville.com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing, and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I am reading Destination Wedding by Diksha Basu. Um, she's the author of The Windfall, and this is her new book um, that I have just started, but so far it is very fun. Uh, another fun romp about a, a destination wedding, obviously. <laughs> obviously, based on that title. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, you can tell us by leaving a review on iTunes, or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can hear our staff's weekly new release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly Shelf Life newsletter, follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic, and receive free shipping on all your online orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We are so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.